Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. We made it. We did make it. I'm going to have to apologize to everyone for uh, my voice is a touch hoarse today. Well, we both made it through the weekend not totally unscathed. (laughs) No. As you can tell by your voices, but we do still have voices. They just sound a little rougher (laughs) for the wear. But it really was a good time. So um, we're talking to you on Monday, August 14th, and we had shows on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And they were all night shows each time. Well, not last night. Last night was all day. Versus all night. Yeah, but they were three to four hour long sets yep. each day as opposed to what we would normally do, like an hour set. Right. So got a little extra wear on the vocal cords. Yeah. And actually, as soon as I came home last night, I was Googling different ways that you could like learn to extend your voice and stuff like that. And oh, how, um, good idea. And there's some Italian school of vocals Okay. that they say you could sing for hours a day and never go hoarse. Well, I think we need to research that further, we Mike. Do. We do need to research that further. But so anyway, we just, we're a little hoarse today before we get into the interview, so we just wanted to preface the, the conversation yes. with you guys. But uh, real quick, though, I just have to share that I think a lot of it isn't just from the singing. A lot of it is from talking with people in between yes. sets and, and whatnot in a loud, really loud environment, just like our audience does when they go to a show and they... <laughs> Right. You know, I'm trying to talk to people over the loud music. Um, a lot of times you strain it and that's where it happens as opposed to the actual performance. But Friday night we did perform in a haunted venue. Yes, we did. And I can only say that I didn't see anything super scary that night. I think the scariest thing I saw on Friday night was the amount of shots. <laughs> that was frightening. Um, now, I had dinner before the show in the mm-hmm. restaurant, Yes, which is the actual old part of the building. Yes. Apparently, that's the original part built. uh, I can't remember when, but it's really old. It's like one of the oldest buildings in Middleton, Wisconsin. And uh, have you eaten there, Mike, in that portion of the restaurant? Yes, I've I've eaten there there a few times. Okay, So it's very rustic and it really does have a much older feel to it than the area where we play with the stage and everything. So I enjoyed that and I could envision a ghost lurking around in there. Interesting you say that because, okay, so we're talking about the Club Tavern in Middleton, Wisconsin. And the ghost of the club tavern is actually somebody that the owner claims to have known when he was alive. Right. But there's a story. So there's a musician by the name of Dale Watson. And Dale Watson is like a countrified guitar player, singer, songwriter kind of thing. And he was having his dinner where you were having your fish fry on Friday night. So on Friday night, see, he was having his dinner before a show he was going to play at the club tavern. And he talked about... This guy came up to him, sat at the table with him because he was sitting all alone and it wasn't that busy in the restaurant at the time. Okay. And this guy came up to the, and talked to him for a couple minutes at the table and then got up and left. And when he asked the owner later on about the, you know, he's like, hey, that this, this guy came up and talked to me for a little bit and uh, I thought he might be here at the show, but I haven't seen him. The person that he described to the owner was the ghost of the club tavern. That's cool. Yeah. Somebody that used to come there all the time, used to help clean up, used to just, he was part of the Club Tavern family. Aww. And, and in, in death, he hasn't left. He, st- he still likes enough. to hang out. He still likes dinner, according to Dale <laughs> well, Watson. They do have a good fish fry there. Yeah. So there's a there's a, just a little a musical ghost story associated with that. Saturday, we played the State Fair, and, and I don't think there's any haunted stories that I know of about the Wisconsin State Fair. 
no uh, cow ghosts or anything like that. No. Uh, maybe the ghosts of a 4-H members that, you know, got trampled or something like oh, that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. You're right. I guess that's horrible. And then Sunday we played in Paoli, Wisconsin, not on the, on the haunted Sugar River. Yes. And we've talked about this briefly before, but that area, there's a few different buildings that are very old that have uh, stories of ghostly types of experiences yeah. people have had there. So one of the places is right across the street from where we played. And I think we've talked about going there and we should, Mike, plan a trip to go yes, do a little investigation time. of that place. But so just because we're rocking and rolling does not mean we are also not hunting down haunted stories. Yeah, really it's so true. Uh, every single place we, you know, we try to bug them a little bit and try to find something. So, no, so that was fun. And then, but Wendy, you just got back from a cool trip and uh, I want to hear all about it. Oh gosh. Well, I did talk to you a couple of weeks ago when I reported in from uh, the mission in California outside yeah. of Los Angeles and uh, explore a lot of really cool different haunted locations there. Lots of dark history in Los Angeles, I gotta say. <laughs> okay, lots, well, lots of murders and stuff like that. Yeah, happened. yeah, and tragedies and things like that. And uh, But the fun part of, well, another fun part of the trip was uh, going to Las Vegas for the official Star Trek convention. <laughs> hey, that sounds like fun. And so what hotel was it at? It was, it was at the Rio. Now, Wendy, I remember staying at the Rio with you one time, and I don't even know if you went to bed because you were on a roll at the craps <laughs> table. Is that? Am I yeah. remembering this correctly? No, you remember right. It was because I looked out the window and I saw uh, the Gold Coast, which is next to the Rio, which is mm-hmm. a much divier kind of casino. And they had a sign up that said $5 craps tables. So their sign enticed me over and I, I went and played craps until you guys picked me up to go on to the next tour stop. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good. And I did well, as I recall. I you won a hundred dollars. Yeah, so. I think you, and I even think you were generous enough to buy buy lunch for everybody that day. So thanks for that. Hey, okay. thanks for letting me gamble. Right. No uh, rules on the road, right? So, but you did. Did you have any all night crap sessions at this particular trip to the Rio? Oh gosh, no, I didn't do any. Well, just a small amount of gambling, but hardly any gambling because okay. the convention was all consuming. Oh, I bet. There was so much going on and uh, it was so much fun. I highly recommend if you're a Trekkie to make Check it out. a point. Yeah, definitely go there sometime. And at some point in your life, try to get out there because it really was, uh, oh, just geek heaven. Well, and we'll probably have to call on some of these stories when we do Star Trek related podcasts in the definitely. future. But just um, my question is, what was your favorite cosplay? So that's the big thing at conventions now is people dressing up like the characters. <laughs> Who, who was the best one you saw? Well, I have to say it was a tie between uh, there was a, there was a Leonard Nimoy, um, William Shatner, like, like a pair combo. of guys that were walking around that had like the matching uniforms. They had the red uniforms on. Uh, and uh, I posted one on my Instagram, but they looked really authentic. <laughs> and so I thought theirs was excellent. And then also um, there was an enormous group of Klingons and they were just fun because they were running around and yelling out being Klingon like not speaking in Klingon though but they had okay. you know they were they had the funny voices and stuff like that and they were just uh I think they were called Klingons of Las Vegas it's like some group but sure <laughs> were they drinking so, the Romulan ale and getting fights and stuff oh, like I'm that? sure they were okay. <laughs> so those were those were my favorites did they have the official stuff because I remember Quark's bar or whatever that they had in yeah. the, the Star Trek experience did they have the different kinds of Star Trek uh drinks there they had a few, but the Quark's Bar was kind of disappointing because 
I had been to the one at the Hilton. Yeah. Which was a, you know, a permanent installation that actually looked just like the set. And they made and the, I'm, the poor bartenders had to dress up like the <laughs> forehead right, ridges and the whole thing. The poor girl. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> but um, at this one, it was just one of the conference rooms in the hotel that they, you know, they decorated it up a little bit, but it was nothing nearly as cool. And the drinks were, you know, they had a few different themed ones, but they weren't anything that special. So. All right. But it's still, it sounds like it was a great time. And we it will, was awesome. We will have that picture because uh, I remember seeing that picture. And they got the uniforms from like the Star Trek II, Star Trek III. Yeah. Um, kind of, you know, the red thing with the sash that opens up in the front. And um, we'll post that at the, the show notes so you can check that out and see Wendy in action at Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, the Mr. Spock and um, Captain Kirk, they were hilarious too because I kept seeing them throughout the casino. But uh, Spock really was into the roulette tables. Like okay. I kept seeing him over there playing, so yeah, the, <laughs> the to, numbers, you know? You know, to me, I would think that a Vulcan would want to play Baccarat, because Baccarat mm. has the best return, so the logical choice would be to play Baccarat. Really? But, Interesting. Uh, he might have had some kind of special roulette system. I don't know. And that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, it was. speaking of fun, we wanted to bring back one of our favorite researchers and authors and all-around paranormal storytellers for the Yay. show this week. And this was inspired because I was doing some research in haunted Lake Geneva. Lake Geneva, Wisconsin is this really pretty area. A lot of people from Chicago come for vacation. Resort town. Yeah. And so I was doing some haunted history research there. And I thought, you know who I should call and ask about this was Linda Godfrey. Because she's... Perfect. Yeah. Because she lives right next door. And, and she is the expert. Right. And so she immediately is like, well, I wrote about this in Weird Wisconsin and had cool. some things for me. And I realized she'd released a new book and that's since the last time we talked to her. Wow. So we thought we'd get together, talk a little bit about the new book. And the thing is, like, once you start Linda on like a paranormal thing, she's always got a story for it. So that was a it's, it's just a lot of fun. Always. Well, let's hear it from Linda. Yeah. Let's talk to her. We are finally live. I tell you what, I think that it's the ghost in the machine today, guys. That's what's been sneaking around, sneaking around here and infecting our internet connections and all the equipment. But now we got it down today. And this is always a special treat when we have her on the program because she helps make us Wisconsinites paranormal proud. And that is... Author Linda Godfrey. Linda, welcome back to see you on the other side. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. Thanks so much for having me again. Oh, absolutely. And I was telling you this earlier, but I got to say, when I meet a ton of people on Twitter all the time and we talk about paranormal stuff in the podcast, I can't tell you how many people every single week are like, well, I am a huge fan of Linda Godfrey. And I'm like, well, uh, we're the lucky ones because we get her at all the stuff in Wisconsin at the different conferences and everything uh, around the Midwest. And <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're jealously keeping you for ourselves. That's right, Linda. And this is Allison from Milwaukee Ghost joining today. And I just tell everybody you're my BFF. <laughs> That's very, very true. BFF, besties, whatever you want to call it. That's, That's what right. we are. Definitely. <laughs> Two peas in a pot. The last time we talked to you, we were talking about your book, American Monsters. 
And since Mm -hmm. then, you do have a new book out. And for the people who may be unfamiliar or coming onto your work for the first time, if you guys out there have ever heard of the Beast of Bray Road, and I know you have heard of the Beast of Bray Road, Linda, can you give us your elevator speech real quick about when people say like, oh, what do you do for the people who may have not uh, read your work before? Well, what I do is basically um, have a lot of fun investigating very scary and strange things. And then I write them up and publishers make them into neat and tidy books. And then I sell those and try and write another one. Uh, All right. So that's what we call the business living the dream. (laughs) Well, there are moments, but um, you know, it's not the path to riches, that's for sure, but I love it. So I feel very, very fortunate that I can 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 do uh, what I like to do. And and a lot of that, I always give credit to my husband. He's been very supportive. We have many years of marriage under our respective belts. Um, we have a huge anniversary coming up this month. So I always have to give him props because without him, I, I would not be able to support myself doing this fun stuff. Definitely. Now, awesome. is, your, is your husband a normal? <laughs> normal, yes. Yes. Okay. The paranormal um, marries the normal, you know, but that's good because um, I always tell him, you know, he keeps me grounded and I make his life as a civil engineer interesting. So. <laughs> right. And he's supportive, you know, he's, he's very supportive. He's not into it in the same way, but he supports me in what I do and, and gets a kick out of it and likes, you know, my friends from, from these things. So uh, it works out well. And what anniversary do you have coming up? You guys are going to croak if I, if I tell you, actually. Okay. But it's 45. Uh-oh. Hey, that's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah, we got married when we were 10. <laughs> or wait, no, we got married in kindergarten. Yeah. No, I've seen people do that. Like, And that's a warning to you people out there when your kids come home from kindergarten. It's like, I married somebody today. The warning is sometimes it lasts like it lasted for Linda, the the Godfrey's. (laughs) That's right. Well, we did meet when we were kids in 4-H club. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Now, I can't remember, Linda, are you from, now, you're in southeastern Wisconsin right now, which is the area that uh, Alice and I are originally from. You know, where you are is only a few minutes from where we grew up in Big Bend. And also for you music fans, it's not too far away from Alpine Valley Music Theater, the largest outdoor music theater in the United States. Uh huh. And so are you from Wisconsin originally or are you a transplant? Oh, no, no. Born in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I've lived all over different parts of the state. My dad's from northern Wisconsin and he actually bought the family farm for a little while. So I technically lived up there and been mostly we've lived in Sheboygan and Oshkosh and Platteville and you know, really made the rounds of this, but we settled in the southern area here, southeast corner, um, where the Kettle Moraine, the locus of strangeness is, and I've uh, been here ever since. So Linda, you just hinted there, uh, you've been all over. So what is the weirdest part of the state, do you think, and why? Wow. Um, you know, since I've gotten to know it, i well, it's kind of a, a toss-up. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens along the Mississippi River, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or by La Crosse and, and all up and down um, that that river shoreline. But I think the southeastern corner of Wisconsin 
you know, it's got the bulk of the effigy mounds, the ancient animal effigy mounds. It's got the Kettle Moraine State Forest north and southern units. And I think those two things help bring out the, the weirdness of the landscape. It's got, uh, and you go, we're not very far from the um, Devil's Lake area where you've got lots of, and, and all the rose quartzite outcroppings that are there, strange mineral deposits. Um, I think that it all sort of coalesces into this big area of strangeness that has started out that way from the very beginning because part of it's geological and just, um, you know, maybe maybe the Native Americans who built those ancient animal effigy mounds, which, by the way, did you know that Wisconsin has 96% of the ancient animal-shaped effigy mounds in the world? In the world. Yes. Uh, right here, southern half of Wisconsin, which is astounding. Yeah, that is amazing. You know, it really, yeah, I mean, how does that happen? And I just wonder if... Um, the incredible, incredible geological factor, factors of this area inspired those people. If they somehow sensed them and, and guided them to build these things there, I don't know. Nobody knows for sure why they're even there. Well, I think I, th- I love those stories because, number one, I've been researching them for the um, last week. I was at the Waukesha County Historical Society, and you, mm. that's sitting on a, that on, a, on a turtle-shaped effigy mound. Is they? I mean, they, they yes. dug that up for the Waukesha Historical Society. And then also working on the uh, UW, University of Wisconsin campus, to, uh, Haunted History Tour, um, the main building is this Bascom Hill, which is has mm-hmm. Abe Lincoln at the top of it, and there's actually two guys buried at the top of Bascom Hill, too. Mm-hmm. That is also built on a, you know, there was effigy mounds up there, and they, you know, dug up the effigy mounds to, to create the buildings on, on top of Bascom Hill. So I've been, right. I, I've been knee deep in effigy mounds for the past couple of weeks. <laughs> like, not, like, Metaphorically sorry. only. You're not <laughs> right. digging anybody up. No, we haven't. No, no exhumations. You know, th- what this makes me think about, Linda, though, is when you're saying, it does feel that there is some kind of locus of weirdness around here. And a term that I've been hearing more and more lately in the, in the paranormal world is the, uh, the term vortex. And mm-hmm. now, oh right. And just when we think about locusts and stuff like that, has anybody ever said like, you know, I, w- I think that Southeastern Wisconsin might be some kind of vortex to you? Yes. Yeah. I hear that often. You know, and I, I don't know if it's possible for such a large geographic area as the whole corner of the state. Right, we just you know, fall in. A vortex. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But I, I think it's dotted with them, you know. And um, I, I have a theory about Bray Road that um, I, I came to probably in the last year or so because I have just been wanting and wanting to figure out why Bray Road, which is what started it all for me, because I was a reporter back in the early 90s, and people on this little town outside of Elkhorn were saying they saw what looked like a werewolf. I started investigating that, and that sort of launched me into this whole field. But I wanted, at the same time, I remember the first time I drove down it looking for a werewolf and thought, well, this place isn't spooky. There's nothing here. Really, it's just like three to four miles of family farms. There aren't any big dark woods, two wood patches. You know, you can usually see somebody cow wondering. One time I was out there with a TV crew from somewhere, and they're going, well, there's nothing strange there. And I said, well, look over there. And this house had a cow on its front porch, just a wandering (laughs) cow. You know, and in fact, it was a bull, and they're like, "Let's go take a picture of that." And they're running up, and it starts chasing them. And no! yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, weird things happen. It's I, just them back to the vortex. <laughs> I did encounter a, a woman in black there one time too. Oh wait, don't just uh, gloss over that. Yeah, was she? <laughs> was it some kind of phantom, or is it like just a fan of the Cure? <laughs> it was uh, a woman, and I'm going to say um, kind of a probably middle-aged woman. She had she was driving a black sedan, a big boat of a car and a black sedan. And um, I was there with a different TV crew. We were standing um, just off a hospital road and she pulls up and says to me and um, whoever was standing next to me, I can't recall. It might've been my friend Todd Roll. And she says, may I help you in this kind of real Boris and Natasha accent. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and she's dressed in black, and she's got black hair kind of pulled back in this bun. I've never seen anybody like that in Elkhorn. And I said, well, no, thanks. We're just, you know, we're doing a TV shoot here. And she goes, but may I help you? And then she starts looking, you know, at everything, like she's trying to take it all in. And I'm like, no, thanks. No, th you know, nothing to see here. You can move along. And she, I think she said it at least one more time. And then she finally just kind of slowly pulled away. And that I is just strange. Yeah, I just thought it was really strange. But I did discover one more thing that might have some bearing, and it's only a theory. But um, I started looking at the really old maps of the Native American trails in the area. And one end of Bray Road, Bray Road cuts from Highway 11, which goes between Elkhorn and Burlington. And then it, it's sort of a shortcut over to Highway NN, which is the hospital outside of Elkhorn okay so um, when you when you intersect Bray Road with Highway 11 which goes east and west um, and then there's another road that goes north and south Bray Road will head northeast over to like uh, McGuanago that area if you take it, it you can you can actually put a little compass point on the map where Bray Road Bowers Road and Highway 11 meet, and that was all Indian Trail. And then you can like make it the, the pieces of the pie. Um, you know, I, I, I diagrammed this out, and I discovered each of these rays that form the piece of the pie go to another little chain of lakes that were actually summer camps. And this was the center, the the very epicenter of what looks like a big medicine wheel and each spoke on the medicine wheel is another little pocket of lakes where there were sacred animal effigy mounds white water delavan lake geneva um east Troy. you can go around that and see them all there that is interesting and, and that, uh, you know I'll, for... I'll be putting i've been showing that at talks i looked up um I did some research on medicine wheels and i did find a couple of different references that said uh, you know, the center of especially a geographical when medicine wheel, because most of them are, you think of them, they're, they're man-made. It's something that is a prayer aid or a ritual aid, you know, in the Native American religion. But there are natural geographical um, medicine wheels where there's a circle with a, with a center and something significant in that center and then other significant things around it. And what I found was, I found several that said the center in that case could be considered a vortex in many cases. So you've got the perfect spot where, you know, things could come and go from that one end of Bray Road. And um, most of the sightings occur either at right at that end there, 
or the opposite end of the road or that hospital road where the woman in black came by that day. Mm. Now, what I'm interested in right here is we were talking about the high strangeness before and that how, you know, not just like physical manifestation things. When we talk about the werewolf-like creature that was at Bray Road, have there been other kinds of sightings and things there? Like you saw, a, you know, a, str- a strange woman in black show up and say, you know, you know, look like that she was looking like a KGB agent looking to help you. Right. And, or, and, or, or like a German art film reject. Right. That's a Soviet man in black. Or woman in black that, you know, literally come, come for you. So have, have there been other things? Have there been UFO sightings there? Have there been other things related to that that may not be cryptid related, but that might be high strangeness related? Right. Um, there's a, a hay field, um, 40 some acres, I think. I talk about this from beginning to end in the Monsters Among Us book because it sort of ties together a lot of the other things. Um, but this is something that I've been assisting the homeowner or the property owner for three years. And in that time, he's got literally thousands of photos from trail camps. Um, he and another colleague and I actually had a basketball-sized light globe come up, travel across the field toward us as we watched it. We were, we were doing a stakeout one night because we had a... Uh, deer deer carcass that was sitting out there nothing was touching it and I had said well something should have eaten that let's you know sit on the other side of the field and see if we can catch anything running around so we're sitting there and this we all saw it crossing the field toward us we watched it and we're going why you know I'm trying to get my camera ready we're wondering what it is we should have been running but we weren't you know (laughs) it never fails I know (laughs) yeah and we're sitting there, and honestly, it came all the way across this field, stopped about 30 feet from the car, maybe 30 feet in the air, and was hovering there. And the three of us are just, you know, kind of going crazy because we have never seen this sort of thing out in the open before. All three of us saw it. You know, there was no doubt about that. It wasn't just one of us having a hallucination. And... My colleague, Sanjay, had the big uh, flashlight we'd brought along in the car, almost more of what they call a torch. It was one of those giant ones. And he just had this instinct to swing that out the window and aim it up at this thing. And he shined the light on it. And we all had the distinct impression that it was surprised and didn't know what to do because that light was shining on it. And because it took just a second, you know, if it were something that was... um, going to dispel a shadow or a weird, you know, just, just something physical. It should have just winked it out. We shouldn't have seen the whole, whole thing. What it did was it, it hung there a second. Um, and then it sort of, Oh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's sort you know how those new twisty light bulbs go out where they sort of like implode in on themselves. That's kind of how this yeah. was. And it wasn't, it wasn't, giving light it was just lit you know and I, it wasn't normal any normal light thing and the man who owns that hayfield um was going he's actually a retired physics and math professor from chicago and he was going that's against physics that can't happen that's not right that didn't happen wow. that's not physics he was just you know <laughs> we, were, we were all freaking yeah yeah and it didn't reappear 
uh, Sanjay got out of the car to see if it went around behind this tree or something, and he came back in and he was completely ill and we had to leave. So I'm getting up, but we we're thinking, well, maybe he saved us from from a, um, an abduction or something. But I've since found multi references to this um, phenomenon of the basketball sized shaped light sphere that travels around, chases people. Um, some people say there's a a book by um, Preston Dennett who has a chapter on it and there was a man who every time he was about to be abducted would see this basketball sized shaped light sphere and some people have seen it zoom larger zoom smaller now it's interesting the gentleman who um, owns that hay field was anonymous in my book he wasn't sure you know if he wanted to declare but he has since come forward and he's got his own little um fledgling WordPress blog to describe the latest thing that happened to him, which is mind-boggling. And um, he was driving along Bray Road. He was coming home from somewhere. Again, he's not on Bray Road, but very close. Mm -hmm. He was coming home from somewhere else and all of a sudden saw this huge light behind him. Huge, like bigger than his truck that he was driving. And at first he thought, well, what kind of thing has headlights like that? And then he realized there was no vehicle behind the, the light. And he got to, to his great credit, because almost nobody has the presence of mind to do this. Right. He held up his cell phone and took two pictures out wow. the, rear, the rear view window of it. Yeah. And uh, I sent it to someone for analysis who does that. And their only conclusion was that it had to be, because of the features that were on it when you looked at it, that it was some sort of um, heated pl plasma. Except, he said, there's nothing really... To provide the plasma, or you know, or to heat it up, if it's there's just a light sitting on a, a road, and this light chased him to where Bray Road intersects Eleven, and he said he just he turned, and then he looked around, and there was nothing. There was no vehicle. There was no light. Nothing. After he turned onto Eleven, it was like it stopped at Eleven at that intersection, which in my diagram would be the center point of the medicine wheel. Well, that's oh, amazing. Um, I love that. Uh, you said that uh, this witness has a blog. Does he have any of those photos available on the blog? Yes, he does. He does. And he also has um, a comparison photo. I asked him to try and take a picture of an actual vehicle with the headlights so we could see what that would look like. And he did, and it, it's not you know, really comparable. But, yeah, if you go to um, probably the easiest way, if you just go to wordpress.com, and then in the search engine you just type in um roy smith's hayfield and hayfield is one word roy smith's with a with an apostrophe yeah well we'll have to link to that in the show notes yes you, you really should because it's phenomenal and like i said we've had um we had a little thing going where he would bring carcasses from illinois in his truck and we would set them in different ways and we would have trail cams on and there are so many things that showed up. You just animal carcasses, right? Deer, mostly. Okay. Started. It started <laughs> well, Chicago's mostly. a rough area lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it it started because he found this raccoon lying there when he had first bought the field. He was out there doing some stuff, and it looked like he noticed it because it was on its back, and it looked like something had unzipped it from the chin down to the nether regions. You know, kind of like a raccoon suit, and something had reached oh, in and pulled out the entire insides in one lump and laid it, it next to it. it out. Yeah, which oh. is, you know, animals don't do that. 
you know, if they're going to scoop it out, it goes into their mouth. Um, yeah. Or if, if birds are there, I mean, I could be very gory and describe all the, I've become quite learned on how various small animals um, dissect these things or, or large ones. So he, um, he came back, he had to go do something. He came back an hour later or so, and the entire glob of stuff was gone. The little deflated raccoon skin was still lying there. The glob of stuff was gone. And he put out a badger carcass that he found, and it did the same thing to that. And then he put out a 60-pound deer that he had found somewhere. And this time, this is what, about when he called me, because um, he couldn't figure out what was going on, and a, a neighbor clued him in about the Beast of Bray Road. And he had this little deer lying there in this kind of nest of grass by the tree line, the same tree line, I might add, from which that um, uh, lighted sphere came across the field at us. And he had uh, two trail cams trained on it. And he figured whatever came to get it, he was going to see. Well, there was a point where, and this was daylight, it wasn't nighttime. There was a point where all of a sudden this column of misty stuff appeared over the deer and you blotted out the deer so you couldn't see it. And this lasted, I'm thinking off the top of my head, it was like an hour because, or maybe half an hour because there were um, maybe three dozen photos. He had them taking uh, like three pictures per second and nothing was showing anything. Then all of a sudden the mist is gone and the deer is gone. And when he went when he went back to, to check that, uh, he had a friend with him, and um, there they saw paw prints, large canine paw prints that were bipedal, and they were very deep in the mud, like it was all of a sudden heavier, and he could only surmise that it had picked it up and thrown it over his sh its shoulder, and then it must have stepped over a barbed wire fence to go into the adjacent field. He and his friend tracked it through this adjacent field until it ended in the road, and they couldn't see where it went, and just disappeared. So something picked up that 60 pound deer while disguising itself in a column of mist and put it over its shoulder or carried it somehow in its forepaws and left the premises on its hind legs because the tracks were there. And he's got pictures of tracks, all kinds of things. It sounds like you got a bipedal canine in your house right now coming for you. <laughs> oh, you could hear that. Yeah. He's not quite bipedal. I, I, I sometimes try to train him, you know, I'll call up little treats and stuff, but he always gets the treat before he all right. learns how to do it. It's so fascinating to me that all this action still happens on Bray Road, that there is more high strangeness of things happening yes. there. And speaking of, of Sanjay, we've been on Sanjay's uh, Into the Forest radio yes. program before, and he's a lot of fun. Yes. I was just reading he had a, uh, like a, a strange cryptid experience at a hotel in McQuanago <laughs> at, at like last February. And so I had to look it uh -huh. up because we went to high school in McQuanago and I'm like, okay, where is it? And interestingly enough, it's, it's, it's a hotel by the Walmart in McQuanago and across, Horrifying. <laughs> it's, it's right next to super low prices. Um, Walmart, I don't shop there. Run. <laughs> But the thing is, he saw something there, and there was a place across the street. There was, like, this abandoned farmhouse where we'd go sometimes in high school and, like, play Ouija board and stuff. Hmm. And we found a ton of different animal bones in the walls of this specific abandoned farmhouse. 
That's creepy. That's creepy. Yeah. And it just makes me think like, all right, well, whoever was living in that farmhouse, like once they, you know, tore it down or whatever, now he roams the, the fields of, of McQuanago, probably living in the Walmart. Coming out. <laughs> you know. Because, the people of Walmart. I mean, I think that that's <laughs> yeah, like a hell The cryptids of Walmart. Yeah. Everything's coming out of, of Walmart, including questionable labor practices. But uh, yeah, and, and uh, Beast from Hell. So what's interesting there, though, is that it continues, you know, 20-some years after the original Beast of Bray Road, there still seems to be something going on in that area. And you were talking about in Monsters Among Us, how you're you're tying a lot of this together. Mm -hmm. When you were working on Monsters Among Us, you know, you've done the research on cryptids, on dogmen, on bipedal canines, on werewolves, on skinwalkers. I mean, we could go on and on. But so when you're coming up with a new book, when you were working on what, what's something you found that surprised you that you're like, oh, man, I never even heard about that before. That's, you know, I've, I've read it all. And this is crazy. Is there anything that you read like that that you were just surprised? You mean in, in that book, The Monsters Among Us? Yeah. Just or, the, when you were, you know, when, when you were studying that and working on that book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny how, you know, sometimes you place your intent out there and the universe just kind of brings things to you. And. I had actually piled up some reports that I didn't really know what to do with because they were so far out of the pale and different from the usual ones that they just didn't lend themselves to the categories in my other books. And I thought, well, this is turning into a category of itself. And I originally wanted to call that the the stranger side of strange creatures because these were things that transformed and that, you know, went invisible and that had all kinds of, you know, the... Um, what, what some people uh, kind of disdainfully called the woo. But um, I thought, well, why would I, how can I be an investigator if I self, um, you know, eliminate things that just don't seem right to me? I really should put them all in a book and then see if they in turn are connected to other anomalous things. So wherever there's good enough documentation, I also have a little graph at the back of each um, an encounter or episode saying whether there was any correlation with the full moon, solar flares, um, UFOs, any other anomalous things that might be there. And there were a, a strange amount of time. But the one that really floored me was um, the, a transformation encounter where uh, this middle-aged couple and their children were sitting in church. And the four of them saw a woman in the pew opposite um, jump up let out this scream right as the pastor was finishing his sermon and transform in an instant from this just nondescript middle-aged lady dressed in plain clothing into a full-fledged upright wolf screaming, um, but with hooves instead of paws. Okay. Which is, you know, that, that makes church interesting right there. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, like, I go to church more often if that happened. Now where now where yeah. let's set this up a little bit like where did this happen where was it It was in I can only say northern Illinois um I had to promise not to give the exact location and I I can tell you that the church building itself is gone okay. Um somehow it wasn't long after that happened she said it was very a very strange atmosphere um they stopped going other people stopped going um there are a bunch of elderly people that passed on and the church was just sort of uh, subsumed into a different 
building that was nearby and the church no longer exists. But um, I met with these people face to face three times and just kind of grilled them each time and they never deviated. They never gave me the slightest impression that they were lying. They didn't want their names used. They didn't want any, you know, glory from it. They just wanted people to know that that kind of thing is uh, possible. It can happen. And um, the thing was, the pastor happened to be standing there with his Bible in his hand, and he sort of rebuked it that because it was the time when um, he stepped down to the different part of the church, the uh, ushers were up there, and the ushers were in the position to kind of throw themselves onto it, took it down onto a pew. I mean, it just gets better, you know. And then when that happened, it turned back into the woman, so that what most of the congregations saw, because they had all been getting their hymn books out, you know, and looking for the first hymn, so a lot of them didn't look up in time to see the actual full-fledged creature, turned back into the woman, they helped her out, and that was kind of that. But they, you know, oh, any yeah. other... That was that. Yep. <laughs> no bigs. Well, there were a few, there were a few after effects because um, the, the man who was a Vietnam veteran, decorated Vietnam veteran, said there were um, always tapes made or videos made of every sermon. And he wanted to see that video of, of that day's sermon. And um, he went and asked the elders for it. And they said, oh, um, that's gone. And he's like, what? What do you mean? It's not in the collection? No, it's gone. And the woman was taken somewhere, too. They weren't mm. sure exactly about that. But they did. They gave me a number of things that um, I checked on personally, and there was nothing they told me that didn't completely correlate, you know, even just odd little incidental things. How did you meet them? Um, they contacted me. Okay. They, you know, uh, yeah, I mostly just am contacted by people. Yeah, I mean, your uh, Linda signal is up in the sky every night. (laughs) (laughs) Something something is, I don't know. People people know where to get you now. I guess, yeah. But yeah, that, and see, that was just something I never, ever expected. And that came along after I had the concept for the book, was already writing on it. You know, just the best things came in that way. So... Did they well, did they ever talk to the woman again, or you know, or was it something like? I say, I think next time you went to church, you'd probably be like, "Hey, you know, Mrs. Brown, I just want to make sure you're not gonna wolf out and kill everybody <laughs> at today's mass." Well, the thing was, I guess after a while, she did come back for a short time, and um, there was some kind of the, the the wife was telling me that there was some kind of late night. I don't know if it was a prayer vigil or something that she attended. Where, or no, it was a, a camp, I think, that they went to. And she was a little afraid, you know, to be around her at night. But nothing else happened. But there were some poltergeist things that happened within the church itself. You know, like she was, the uh, the woman was helping clean up the kitchen after some church function. Um, and she found a knife that had fallen on its edge so that the blade was up, you know, like a big uh, cutting knife of some kind. Um, things like that, you know, there were a few episodes like that. And then, uh, you know, by that time they had left and they lost track of, of where everybody went. Well, you know, and how do you, how do you come back to that too? Like, how do you, you know, I wolfed out at church. I mean, <laughs> right. I, I mean, that's, that's kind of something, you know, you don't live down. Like, uh, you know, you're a little late from for, to church. I mean, that's always embarrassing, but can, can you imagine if you did a like full, full on wolf out and then, you know, how do you like go back to the community? 
Well, an extra 10 bucks on the collection plate and five Hail Marys aren't really going to take care of that. <laughs> so, Linda, we, um, we've been mentioning a little bit about Illinois here. And I, I just have to ask, you know, with, with all the Mothman sightings, I, I wanted to know um, if you had heard any reports uh, about Mossman uh, in all your um, investigations that you've done before this current flap that we, we seem to be having uh, since the spring in, uh, in Chicago, Illinois? Um, yeah, uh, I had come across, um, I've had several big bird um, encounters told to me, but I had something that I called the man bat that was reported in... I think this was 2006, and this man and his son were driving on a back road um, outside of La Crosse. Actually, they were uh, they lived kind of out in the country, and their pickup truck. They had they're both in a band. They had been to band practice, and like I said, it was kind of a family type thing. They you know it wasn't um, well. I don't want to sound prejudiced toward bands, but there's some bands that will imbibe certain sub- substances. Yeah, and I've had people suggest what? that. Too. Yeah. I'm in one of those bands. <laughs> See, and he, I mean, this was just, it was more of a family type thing with him and his son. They were driving home, and all of a sudden, this huge black-winged thing flies right up to the windshield. They thought it was going to just crash into their windshield. And they said the the wing spread was as wider, wider than this, the big old truck they were driving. The um, creature, it looked like some kind of a furry, wolf-like face. Uh, and bats kind of look that way. You know, if you look at a bat, they have that kind of little pointy snout, a lot of them in, in the ears. But mm-hmm. they said this yeah. was more like something else. And just as they thought it was going to hit the windshield, it suddenly just went straight up in the air, off to some trees, and let out this shriek. And the sound of that shriek, and I don't know if, if it was some type of uh, ultrasound, but it was, um, it made the, the the 25-year-old son who was driving felt sick and he had to pull over and throw up. And then the father was sitting like, he also came back and uh, was kind of harassing the, you know, to the side of the house, my knobs. Um, he thought he had a glimpse of it when he went out to smoke. And I found other examples in La Crosse. There were uh, two different men who lived in the French island area of La Crosse, um, which is near a nuclear power plant, that saw what sounded like the same thing in their backyards and, and um yeah i went there i was on i went to the site with the man uh, all around the weird thing was we found um a deer right where he said the thing had gone to when he when he had uh, first pointed when we walked over there we found a, a deer that had been partially cut up um but it it looked like a human had done that but they only took a small part of it so I don't know if it had anything to do or not. It could have been just coincidental. But yeah, and that was 2006. So the man you know, bat. We're talking, the man bat was what I called it. Yeah. yeah. What I think is yeah. interesting with this story, though, you said that the shrieking sound is what made the guy sick. Yeah. And when you think about bats, is I mean, bats see by sonar, and that's a kind of a sound wave. And so that's how bats see. Like if you had a huge giant bat or whatever, would that would it be able to use sound as its defense mechanism? Well, infrasound, you know, below the, the usual range of, of the human ear, um, has been shown to make people nauseated. Um, it brings out all kinds of different symptoms of um, 
various types of discombobulation, <laughs> right. you know, in, in how you're feeling and acting. Yeah, and so that tells me that there's maybe maybe something a little different going on other than the fact that there's this giant bat-looking thing. And we know that uh, the U.S. government and other governments have investigated... An army of flying fat bats. No, they've <laughs> investigated <laughs> infrasound, though, and uh, for use as a non-lethal weapon for crowd dispersal. And I think there, there has been uh, some, at least test usage around the world of that. Uh, so it can definitely have an effect. Did you hear the news this morning? I just happened to flip the TV on for a minute, and um, there's a big flap now because um, a bunch of our Cuban our diplomats to Cuba were somehow attacked by some sort of audio weapon. And this is not in the strange news. This was the regular news 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 and were made ill and lost their hearing because of it and so i i didn't hear enough to learn you know how they knew about how they found out about the machine or whatever and i guess this was a year ago and it's just coming out now and that was just this morning so it was some type of audio audio weapon that made these diplomats um be ill and lose their hearing raul castro has a caged man bat on the island of cuba that he releases To attack American diplomats. Yeah, that, well, that's that's te- what Mike hears. Yeah, well, it, hey, if you thought we got our butt kicked at the Day of Pigs, what if we were fighting man, men bats instead of communists? Like a completely different kind of thing. <laughs> I, I would hate to think. Smoking cigars, all of them. <laughs> that's right. That's gives them their supernatural powers. So what has been, like, uh, your reaction to all these Mothman reports? Which um, I, I think our, our friend uh, Tobias Whalen found one, uh, a report from last year as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, mostly we've been hearing about um, the Mothman sightings or flying humanoid sightings in Chicago this year starting the spring. And so I, I've... I've been watching it uh, closely, and I bet you have been too, Linda. And you know what? What has your 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 impressions been so far of the sightings? Well, you know there were sightings like that in um, in Chicago a few years ago. I've got it in the American Monsters book under the chapter of uh, Bat Squatch, which I think is the, probably the best cryptid name anybody ever invented in the yeah, world. How can you beat Squatch? You know, it's just it's just the best. <laughs> And I've got Batman of Pennsylvania, Missouri, and Chicago. I mean, these things have gotten around. And uh, 2011 was when there were several sightings over Chicago before this. The one thing that struck, I have a couple of reservations over this latest one in that they just keep coming and coming and coming. And it seems like there should be more sightings if there are that many, you know. And they're over mostly the metropolitan and close-in suburbs. Whereas before, um, the other side, although the the night the 2011 sightings in Chicago were also over the suburbs, but in other places like the Man Bat, that was on a lonely road. You go to Mothman, and they're in the old um, you know Army training area in in uh, Point Pleasant. Most right, of the TNT. time, yeah, there there are. You got the Van Meter Visitor in Iowa. My friends, you know, Chad. Chad and Kevin and Noah, you know them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, came, they came out of, like, this lonely mine, you know, the, the giant birds. So it's kind of a 
puzzler in itself as to why these things would be suddenly over the city. And um, there was some coincidence people were suggesting with the timing of a uh, new Mothman movie or video that just, is it did it come out already or is it coming out? I'm, I'm in writing a book mode and I'm never usually up sure. on things as well as right now. But oh, so you some, think it might be a media hoax for promotion some, purposes. Some, well, I don't think that, but I've heard it suggested and I can't, um, you know, figure out a way to um, refute it that perhaps these were people in wingsuits because all of the, the, the few blurry photos we have so far, they're quite distant, you know, and you can't get a good look at them, uh, at the features of it. So you just wonder if it's a guerrilla marketing plan or something. I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with this. Yeah. You know, because it keeps happening and happening and happening. And the sheer, what are there, 16, 17 sightings or something yeah. like that, right? This particular yeah. flat. And it just, it sort of seems too good to be true. So I don't know, you know, and I know there are lots of people down there, you know, forming teams and, and uh, you know, going out to look for it. And I think probably there should be more Chicagoans doing that too, except there seems to be sort of a media blackout in Chicago. I mean, it's not like the newspapers are full of headlines screaming, you know, Batman seen again, you know, you don't see that. And so I'm wondering... That seems odd in itself. Yeah, you'd expect it to be something like pick it up more, like even in the in the weird news section or when you think about the beast when you think about the Beast of Bray Road, the Beast of Bray Road was on uh the regular news, you know, WISN and WTMJ was on there all the time. I remember when yep. it came out. And we were just talking about this on Facebook the other day, Allison, when, when the Horicon, the ghost of the Horicon Marsh, yeah. when that story came out, that was all over the news too before it was on Unsolved Mysteries and everything. And, and yeah. so our, our local newscasters yeah. were covering that stuff. Where right. is the Tribune on the Chicago Mothman? Right, because see, it's ratings gold. I mean, you know, newspapers... Uh, you know, they may privately scoff at it. I know when the Beast of Bray Road came out, I was laughing. I thought I was skeptical. But I I didn't do it to sell papers because that paper was free. You know, so I didn't make it. I just did right. it because I was intrigued and wanted to find out what it was. And and I I thought if it was some dangerous animal, the people should know. But um, the the TV stations and radio stations do know that people, when they hear about this kind of thing, they're curious. They want to know too. And it's about ratings, but we're not seeing that happen down there. Yeah. That is curious. And what I'm wondering is uh, the thing about the Mothman that is interesting is, is first of all, it, it wasn't just the Mothman as a cryptid. It was the Mothman was a harbinger of doom. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's foretelling, you know, some tragedy in the future. I mean, that's, that's the worry. Right. Well, even, you know, that man bat in lacrosse, um, appeared three days before one of those um, young, drownings of the young men that have been going on actually since the late 1800s in La Crosse. There's been a series of drownings in the La Crosse River. And um, that when I went and looked time-wise, it was three days before one of those drownings. Now, there hasn't, if that were the case, you'd think, well, then there should be a man bat appearing three days before every one of them. Maybe right. they did and people didn't see it. Who knows? But, um, yeah, there is that aspect, definitely, with the, with the Point Pleasant, because the Silver Bridge went down. You know, it was uh, full of bit busy Christmas shoppers. A lot of people drowned. 
and people connected that with the sightings. Well, you know, what I'm interested in is um, one thing you were t- you're talking about, Linda, is you mentioned lacrosse, the, the quote unquote, the serial killer or the drownings, the mysteries of who's been going into the Mississippi. And that's something we've talked on the show about a couple of times. And yeah. I worked at a t- I worked at a TV station when um, one of the guys went in in Minneapolis and was found later. And we were in I was working in a lacrosse TV station. And so obviously it was news every single morning. And sure. do you you know, do you have any theories on that particular thing that you've, you know, anything from your research or people you've talked to uh, where you're like, you know, this, this kind of makes sense to me more than a serial killer or something like that. Well, yeah, it's hard. Is it the dog man? (laughs) You know, I I don't have a lot of dog man sightings in lacrosse. I'd be more likely to say the bat squatch, you know, or the man bat (laughs) because, uh, you know, he look, look big enough. It's, it's almost like, um, what it reminds me of, because there's never any signs of a struggle or anything like that, and there are lots of instances of college students getting very drunk and wandering off, you know. And in fact, uh, my husband was in lacrosse for business one time, and was at one of the bars with some um, bu- business friends, and it was closing time, and there was some uh, young guy sitting there, and he said, the bartender, in very poor taste, walked over to that uh, student and said, okay, time to walk down to the river now. Oh, <laughs> my God. That's horrible. Yeah, my husband was just, you know, uh, really, really yeah. shocked. By the- and it was very, like I said, it was very, very poor taste. But it, it just shows how ingrained that idea is that these guys are getting drunk. And certainly we all know when you're really completely drunk, you can do things you wouldn't normally do. You'd think the water would wake them up a little bit, you know, when they first started wading into the cold river, but um, it doesn't seem to happen. Um, Of course, on the paranormal side, there are theories. And honestly, I just don't even know which one to go with. But um, it reminds me of the Irish uh, water selkie, where there's Mm -hmm. something that appears to um, be either a beautiful horse or a beautiful young woman, and it sort of lures the person into the water and then sees that it drowns. So um, the the circumstances when they describe these young men just walking into the water, they're already inebriated, so it wouldn't be hard to get them to uh, just forget their good judgment and follow somebody into it, a, a be- probably you know a, a beautiful young co-ed mm-hmm. in a bikini, who knows what it might appear as. I jump in. And you know, we we've talked about this at length. Uh and um I just gotta say, like, um when when I went to Hawaii uh, a couple of years ago, I was shocked to to learn that in Hawaii they have uh, such a thing as a called a, a calling spirit. And what she does is lures young men to their deaths. She calls their name. And she appears as a beautiful woman, and that would be the thing that she would often do is is call the call the man to the 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 water, you know, and until the man drowns. Uh, so, and then the other thing, which which uh, it has been of interest to me, is thinking about um, the uh, the different. Um, legends among the native peoples of this area uh, about the water panther, about these beasts that live in the water that would drag you to your death. 
I mean, that that is a pervasive story. It is. You could always tell when a water panther did it because they would find the white sand in the person's mouth. That was part of it. And speaking of that, I just finished writing this up um, last night for the new book. It's The book is not about shapeshifters, but I heard from um, an Oglala Sioux person in uh, the Dakotas who said he and his friend were walking, or not walking, were, were driving through the reservation and they saw a young woman standing there in the tall grass. And she just looked like a beautiful woman standing there. And um, his, he asked his friend, hey, should we pick her up? And his friend said, no, if she got out here, she can get back wherever she was. Uh, because there were these traditions going around and stories being told about what looked like a beautiful woman. And um, it would turn out she had horses' feet or something like that. And they would lure people and then they'd find the person, usually just, you know, one young man trampled to death. Wow. Oh, yeah. So that's a tip, guys. If you go out there, you see a good-looking gal, <laughs> take a look at those, take a look. And, she, and if she's got big flippers, like, and, and they got hooves on it, <laughs> then what? Don't, do not go for it. Yeah, you know? Do not go for the hooved ones. There's just something like that in every culture was my only. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, um... I, I just wanted to point out one more thing, that there's an adversarial relationship between the Thunderbird and the Water Panther. So that's something to look at, too, that, you know, if you see um, if you see a, a big, like a big bird or a man bat, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, that's not the creature causing uh, the trouble, but it's a warning of Water Panthers in the area. That's just an, another hypothesis. If I see any of that, it's gonna, the only trouble is going to be in my underwear. <laughs> well, you know, the, um, in Lake Geneva, which is the second deepest lake in Wisconsin, it's got a very deep part right next to the uh, haunted Black Point Mansion. And right in that spot, um, which is where a steamer went down and drowned five people back in the late 1890s, is the spot where the Potawatomi, who lived on those shores, of Geneva Lake said that the water panther and the giant thunderbird battled. And it wow. was the, the reason for those battles was to even the, uh, the powers of the land and the sky so that the universe remained in harmony. So they had sort of a function with that. And uh, yeah, and that's everything happens in that one spot um, by uh, Black Point and, conf- and the nearby conference point. There's a book. Um, it's been out for a while. I think you can probably find it in used books. It's called Darkness is Light Enough by Gerald Lishka. And it's the story of the um, experiences he had by conference point that involved things like that and, and spirits and stuff. It's, it's kind of interesting. Well, I'm, that's the next book I'm going to find because I'm working on some Haunted Lake Geneva stuff right now. So I thank you for that, Lynn. I'm, that, I'm running... That's as soon as we're done with this call, that's the next thing I'm going to do. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And, and, uh, the whole, the whole thing about that steamboat going down, you know, was, was pretty interesting there. All, everything in that one spot. That's, that's the cool part of it. So the water panther is dragging things down and the thunderbird tr- comes in, tries to do some stuff. And then it, it all, they, they fight, but still five people lose their lives. And then the man bat comes in and just finishes up <laughs> at the end. <laughs> There you go. I, I love it. Just a, a wham bam finish for some kind of really for film. Yeah. Linda, let's talk about your next book. What I want to hear about is what you're working on right now. And so what can people look forward to coming out from you soon? 
Wow. Well, I'm not supposed to say a lot. It's sort of a um, that's fair. A high concept thing. And uh, my editor at um, Penguin Random House actually thought of the concept, so I can't take credit for it. It will include some really good. Now that the the things that this Oglala Sioux fellow told me, there's more to it, and that will be in there, um, among other things. And it's going. It's looking at um, the creatures. Probably, probably most of them will be the, the upright canines because that's what I get the most um, mail about. But it will. It, it's looking at them from a slightly different angle that tries to kind of reconcile them. And again, you know, I'm I'm not interested in writing just books about scary creatures because um, that's cool. And I know that the things I write about are scary. But what's interesting for me. I mean, you can get kind of bored on a diet of just being scared. What's interesting for me is what they're associated with, you know, what where they came from, what effect they really have on people, you know, what the heck are they? That's the big jillion-dollar question, you know. And so this is just coming at that search from a different angle. Oh, cool. Well, I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, I'm excited, too. Probably be a year from this fall before it's out, actually. It takes them a long time to process. Well, so you're working on that right now. And for people who haven't checked it out yet, uh, your latest book is Monsters Among Us. And there's going to be a link to pick up that in the show notes. And what I have a hard time believing uh, is that, like, I'm ready to hear more stories, but we're going to have to save that for next time, Linda. And you've always been, already been super generous with your time and your tales. And people want to find out more about you and where to find your books. Where is the best place to do that? Just go to lindagodfrey.com. That's my blog. It's got book lists. It's got lots of stories that aren't in the books. Um, It's all free. I don't have any ads on there, so you won't be bothered by pop-ups and stuff. Um, And also just um, all kinds of different things you wouldn't expect. There's anything you want. There's their pictures, bio, um, other weird books. I have one fantasy book that's that's in there. So it, it's all at lindagodfrey.com. And I can attest to the entertainment of the stories on that blog. Uh, there's a lot of good stories and stuff you might not have read in the books. And so uh, make sure you guys check that out. Once again, Linda, thank you for your time. Allison, thank you once again for joining us with thank your you. wonderful questions. And uh, we'll see you soon. Well, thanks to Linda and Allison for a nice interview. Yes, thanks so much. We sure appreciate that. And make sure you check out Linda's book, Monsters Among Us. And, you know, that was the inspiration for this week's song, I think, was... Now, now Linda, so her book, American Monsters, inspired our song of the same name. We released a little EP <laughs> on it and stuff last right. last year. And uh, Monsters Among Us kind of had the same kind of effect, where uh, her titles, I think, just lend very well to... Uh, symbolic kind of tracks. Yes, yes. So um, when I thought about the monsters among us, I was just thinking about how a lot of times when you just think about your neighbors and your neighbors seem like they're great people or you have fun or you guys go out together for a you know a barbecue, you have them over, your kids play together. And then you see what your neighbors talk about on Facebook or something like that or you see what kind of beliefs they have. And like in today's, I don't know, internet climate, um, it seemed to be the perfect opportunity where people that normally like each other because they connect on the fact of their kids or they connect on the fact of their houses or they connect on the fact of like, where they are, um, if they just knew each other through their internet identities, 
they would hate each other. <laughs> so uh, thought it'd be a fun have a little track called The Psychopath Next Door. Watching through the windows, peeking through the cracks, waiting for their moment. So don't you turn your back. They act like they're your friends, but don't you be a cup. They're worshiping the devil, and it's your soul they'll suck. Sometimes the truth is just a metaphor. To think I barbecue with a psychopath next door. The monsters live among us, I see plenty every day. I don't know who I can trust, so I'll send you all away. I don't want no bumper sticker, and I don't want no big red hat. I'm so sick of disagreeing, I just hang out with my cats. Sometimes the truth is just a metaphor. To think I barbecue with a psychopath next door. Sometimes the truth is just a metaphor To think I barbecue with a psychopath next door Psychopath next door Psychopath next door Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Don't hit stop, Wendy. Okay, I'm not hitting it. Okay, because what haven't we done yet? Well, of course, we haven't thanked our Patreons. Oh, the coolest people on the planet. That's right. The Patreon (laughs) community is, they're the people who are helping us get new shows, songs, videos, cool adventures, um, like where we go find ghost stories at haunted venues or go visit an extraterrestrial crash site and things like that. The people who help fund our Patreon are the people who help make those adventures happen. Very exciting. We appreciate it so much. And we want to give a special extra shout out to our friend, Dr. Ned. Dr. Ned, thank you. Uh, Your contribution uh, every month really helps us uh, keep things going. And you guys can also be at the level where we thank you in every single episode, too. You just have to check out othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Thanks. See you next week, everybody. If I see any of that, it's gonna, the only trouble is going to be in my underwear.